Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. Without warning, Hamas fighters unleashed on their enemies. Palestinian militants fired thousands of rockets from occupied Gaza into Israel. In Tel Aviv, people hurried to bomb shelters. Israeli cities smoldered on the Saturday of Simhat Torah, a holiday. Israeli security apparently caught off guard. Israel has what it claims are near impregnable borders, but Hamas fighters prized them open in many locations, bursting through in large numbers. In a further sign this assault may have been planned for months, some arrived on paragliders. Many of these pictures came from Hamas itself, as it declared the start of Operation Alexa Flood. Residents hid as fighting continued street by street inside Israeli cities. The sounds are imprinted on nearly every Israeli's mind after Hamas terrorists descended on the desert. The attack has shaken the country to its core. Every one of us knows somebody who has been killed, kidnapped and taken in captivity. At least 1,200 people murdered in a country of just under 10 million, the equivalent of over 40,000 dead if it had happened in the U.S. And scenes echo 9-11, which reshaped the United States forever. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu addressed the nation, vowing to take revenge. All the places they hide, he said, Israel will turn into cities of ruins. Israel released these pictures, saying it targeted Hamas positions, dozens of military compounds and Hamas operational headquarters. Hundreds of Palestinians were also killed as the Israeli Defense Force launched Operation iron sword. And as the shelling continued through the night, President Biden reiterated Washington's support for its ally. The United States stands with the people of Israel in the face of these terrorist assaults. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people. Full stop. Tonight, fury on full display. The Islamist militant group Hamas calling for a day of rage across the Arab world and beyond. In the wake of relentless bombing of the Gaza Strip by Israel after Hamas's gruesome attack. Tens of thousands taking to the streets across the region. In Kabul, Afghanistan, protesters desecrating the Israeli flag. Their signs read, Israel is the biggest terrorist. But the anger not directed at Israel alone. In Iran, Israeli and American flags burned. In Amman, Jordan, riot police clashing with the protesters using tear gas to turn some of them back. The massive crowds stretching for blocks to the capital city. The protests come as fears grow that the skirmishes on Israel's northern border with Hezbollah could explode into a second front to this war. That is significant because Hezbollah is a far better armed, far better organized organization than Hamas is. And if Hezbollah were to enter this conflict, it would change the face of what is going on in the Middle East entirely. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling. Slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival, kidnapping scores of women, children, and elderly, even Holocaust survivors. Hamas terrorists bound, burned, and executed children. They are savages. Hamas is ISIS. And just as the forces of civilizations united to defeat ISIS, the forces of civilization must support Israel in defeating Hamas. In fighting Hamas, Israel is not only fighting for its own people, it is fighting for every country that stands against barbarism. Israel will win this war. And when Israel wins, the entire civilized world wins.
Last week this time, we had no idea what had actually happened in Israel. We had heard that Hamas had punched through the wall there next to the Gaza Strip. We heard that people had been wounded, killed, and captured. But none of us, I think, could have prepared for the images that we saw as the week ran on. In my study of the Bible... Next year, it'll be 40 years. I have never seen so many things come together at one time to say one thing. He is coming back very soon. There's a lot of questions concerning Israel. There's a lot of questions concerning their right to the land. There's a lot of questions that people have concerning this and a lot of misconceptions. For we saw people all over the world stand for pro-Palestinian propaganda. When challenged and asked if they believed that it was proper for them to protest with signs that falsely read, free Palestine, they were asked directly, do you condone the rape of women the mutilation of children, and the kidnapping of the elderly. Their response in many cases were, that never happened. This is how delusional it actually is. But the Bible clearly tells us that as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, the state of Israel is the place that we shall all keep our eye upon with the epicenter being none other than Jerusalem itself. Last week, October 7th, Israel experienced their 9-11. To date, 1,300 are dead. Over 3,000 are wounded. Over 150 are hostages. Men, women, and children were killed, mutilated, raped, and tortured. We need to understand that this is the greatest loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust. I think all of us have become desensitized to the understanding of the conflict in the Middle East. As some would say during the course of this week, this just happens over and over and over again. But there's no context to put it all in. We don't understand why. We don't understand how this keeps occurring time and time again. And on the brink of the normalization of relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which would have been a milestone, those in the Islamic uh, world absolutely did not want that to occur, especially those in Iran. Hamas is not working independently. Hezbollah is not working independently. It was too coordinated, too well-funded, too well-planned, too well-equipped for these terrorist organizations to have done this independently. For there's an agent of terror behind these terrorist groups that are pulling the strings. And I believe that that is none other than Iran itself. Fifty years almost to the date of the Yom Kippur War in 1973, where the nations around Israel came against Israel, Israel looked to almost be defeated when all of a sudden things miraculously turned around and the war ended in six days. Now that time is called the Six-Day War. Israel today is fighting for its life. It is one of the most serious geopolitical events that we have had in the last 20 years. And we need to keep our attention upon it. How serious is it? It didn't take the Biden administration very long to send the Gerald R. Ford carrier group into the region. And yesterday, or the day before, I believed, the Eisenhower strike group left also. Their mission, containment. 
if this spills over into other countries, it could just detonate the explosive Middle East that we have come to know. So this morning, I want to take you into the Bible. I want to take you all the way back to the beginning. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 12. When God called a man out of his country, away from his family, because in and through him would come the Jewish people. And in this event, and those events that transpired just afterwards, we understand the root cause of the tensions between the Jewish people and the Islamic world. But let us begin by understanding that the nation of Israel began as Abram, as we know as Abraham, stepped out of Haran and made his way to Canaan. And notice with me in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And let us begin here. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. For I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So that they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebith tree in Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. Please notice that. And there there he built an altar to the Lord, whom he appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram joined, going on still towards the south. Abram, I'm calling you to establish a new nation. And in and through this nation that I establish in and through you, you shall be a blessing to all of the world. All of the families of the world. All of the nations of the world. And that blessing was the person of Jesus Christ. But notice with me. I am giving you this land. I am giving your descendants this land. So the question we must answer is, who are those descendants? But before we answer that question, please notice with me that God said very clearly, Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. This is why I believe it is so important that we stand with the nation of Israel as the nation of the United States. We don't need to agree with everything that they do. And yes, most of the nation of Israel is secular. They're agnostics. Some even proclaim themselves as atheists. But throughout history, we have seen God deal with various nations, those who blessed Israel and those who have cursed Israel. And God has dealt with each accordingly. This is why I believe that we should remain an ally of Israel as a nation. This is why I believe it's important that we know what our candidates believe concerning the nation of Israel. It is something that is Um, so vastly superior to any uh, pragmatic 
intellectualism, our standing with Israel, our blessing of Israel, shows that God will show favor to our nation. But notice that from the very beginning, God said in Genesis 12, 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. This land is the land that we are talking about, that we are seeing, that Hamas has invaded. It is this land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham. The question then becomes, who are those descendants? Who has the right to that land? Were the Palestinians held in some type of captivity? That Israel was oppressing them in some way? Or has Israel been given back the land according to Ezekiel 36 that God would regather the people of Israel back to the land prior to His second coming? And that all happened on May 14, 1948 after the horrific Holocaust which absolutely makes me angry. I'm going to say that when people deny that the Holocaust actually occurred. Are you kidding me? My grandfather's aunt, as a Catholic, died in Auschwitz, in Poland. Don't tell me the Holocaust did not happen. Israel has a slogan, never again. And it is that slogan that is motivating them today. But who are the descendants, and why is this so controversial? It all begins in Genesis chapter 15. Flip a few pages forward. In verses 1 through 11, as God is speaking to Abram, at this point, Abram has no descendants. And notice his conversation with God. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, speaking of Eleazar, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, You shall your I'm sorry, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the two birds. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. God made a covenant with Abram, a promise, a covenant that God made with him that could not be broken. This land is your land, and I am giving it to you as an inheritance for your descendants. Again, God making such a promise to Abraham. This is not in contestation. This is not in question that Abraham was given the land. The question B is, who are the descendants of Abraham that are entitled to that land? And that's where we continue this morning. And it all begins... As Abram and Sarai waited for a child, they got a bright idea. Well, it wasn't really that bright. In fact, it was an absolute disaster. And notice with me in Genesis 16, 11, and 12, And the angel of the Lord said to her, 
Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Sarai got tired of waiting and said, Here, have my handmaiden Hagar, and have a child through her, because the Lord's promise has not yet come to fruition. So often, one of the reasons that we turn from faith is because we have a very difficult time waiting on God. You know, when we pray, it's easy when God says yes. It's a little harder when God says no. But when God says wait, that's when we all have difficulty. Really, Lord? But my calendar is full. Now would be a good time. You know, in 40 years of walking with the Lord, he has never sent me his Outlook calendar. He's never emailed me the daily agenda. He says, walk by faith. And God had every plan, every ability to fulfill the promise in which he has made to Abram. But a child was born through the bondservant Hagar. That child was the child Ishmael. It is this child that has now caused and created the controversy that we have today. From Ishmael, we know that the various Islamic nations are all rooted in and through. He was the beginning of all of them. And the question that the Islamic community has, did God promise the land to the descendants of Ishmael? Or was there still yet one coming? The child of promise, the one in whom God provided, the one that we know as Isaac. For we believe that the descendants that God promised to Abraham are found in and through Isaac. And Isaac, of course, is the one that the Jewish people are all originated through that lineage and that line and therefore we believe that the descendants that God had promised the land to were the Jewish people. So when people ask me what right they have to that land, God gave them that land. God gave them that land, the land that they have today. God has brought them back for the purpose to set the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ. But Ishmael, even Muhammad himself in the Quran in 620 AD wrote concerning Ishmael as being the father of the Islamic community. But in Genesis 17:20 to 22 we have these words. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you Behold, I have blessed him, God says. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. My covenant I will establish with who? Isaac. He is the chosen one of promise, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Now we know that the journey to the land in which God had promised was not a straight route, was it? It wasn't a nonstop flight. It had many layovers on the way. Of course, as the children of Israel began to grow in population, we find that a famine hit the land so severe that the land was incapable of bearing, uh, bearing the fruit necessary to sustain the people. And through a set of circumstances, Joseph found himself in Egypt. And then the brothers came to Egypt. Joseph met them there. And through Joseph, the people of Israel were delivered, saved. And there in Egypt, they had a land onto their own, the land of Goshen. And when the time came for their release, Pharaoh resisted. So God raised up one whom we know to be Moses and delivered them from the bondage of Egypt through the wilderness. Coming to the promised land, they wavered in their faith, sending 12 spies in. 
10 came back and said, absolutely not. There are giants in the land. There's no way that we could ever overcome them. But then there were two stragglers. Two guys came back who apparently didn't get the same memo that the first 10 did. And they were carrying a big, uh, big vine of grapes. And they said, no problem. This is cake. We can do it. And of course, that was Joshua and Caleb. But unfortunately, the people listened to the 10 rather than the two. And they wandered for 40 years in a circle until that generation perished. But God preserved Jacob, I'm sorry, Joshua and Caleb. And it was Joshua then, of course, who led them in to conquer the promised land. One of my favorite books of the Bible is Joshua. What a set of shoes to try to fill Moses, right? What a succession. And the very first thing that God says to Joshua is, be strong and of good courage. I am with you. We're going to do this together. Of course, they established themselves in the land after routing out the inhabitants as God ordered them to do. But they didn't go all the way. They didn't go far enough. They left pockets behind that came, became problematic later on. But by the time uh, that we come now later into the Old Testament, we discover that they had wrestled with intermarrying and worshiping the uh, gods of the pagan lands around them, which God had forbidden. And so God took them out of the land by the hands of the Babylonians. Only to once again, after a 70-year period of time, bring them back and reestablish them once again. And from that point forward, the nation of Israel went on. And then all of a sudden, in one of the darkest times in Israel's history under the oppression of Rome, this man began to herald in the wilderness, Repent! Repent! For one is coming, a messenger preparing the way. And there in Israel, under the star that announced his birth, Jesus Christ came into the world as God had promised. Shortly after that, after the rejection of Christ, his crucifixion and resurrection in 70 AD, Titus came in, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, scattered the Jews to the four winds, and the land lay desolate, run by various empires over the years, stony, forgotten, barren. And then as time went on, after various empires came and went, the Ottoman Empire, then the British Empire, ran it for a while. But then in 1948, after the devastation of the Holocaust, the world realized that the Jewish people once again needed their own home and gave them the land back once again. And they started regathering again in the nation of Israel. Seven million Jewish people live in this small sliver of land in that area. But yet, it wasn't without turmoil and tribulation. For the conflicts continued. And to this day, Israel has settled in their land in a state of insecurity and confusion. But a time is coming, the Bible says, when Israel will reside in their land in peace. Unfortunately, that peace shall be broken by one that we know to be the Antichrist. So as we look at the nation of Israel, the Jewish people occupying the land as God had promised, the Islamic community says, but wait, we believe that the descendants of Abraham are found through Ishmael. And it is us who have the title right to this land. And please know and understand that every minute, hour, day, week, year, month, that Israel is in the land of 
uh, I'm sorry, the Jewish people are in the land of Israel, it is a confirmation that Allah is not the one true God. It is a confirmation that Yahweh, Jehovah, is the one true God and Jesus Christ, His Son. And the Islamic people are constantly reminded of that fact each and every time they have to know and understand that the Jewish people are in the land. The Muslims are waiting for a day known as the Day of Judgment, where the Mahid returns. But that Day of Judgment, that last hour, will not come unless something transpires first. And I bring you to the Quran itself, to what is known as a Hadith, as we Read these words, we understand now that this is the justification for why the Islamic world does what they do concerning the nation of Israel. Notice with me. The last hour would not come unless the Muslims will fight against the Jews. A hadith is a spoken teaching that is written and recorded from Muhammad himself. That the Muslims would kill them until the Jews would hide themselves behind a stone or a tree. And a stone or a tree would say, Muslim, the servant of Allah, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill him. They believe it is necessary to eliminate the Jewish people. To allow for the return of their Madith, their God, their Savior, if you will. No, I believe that will be in the person of the Antichrist. But this is why they do what they do. This is why they feel justified in the Islamic faith to continue to war against the nation of Israel. But there's been normalization in the land. And that normalization means that other countries now recognize Israel to be a sovereign country. And some of those are Islamic. Why is this happening? Well, as the world becomes more and more secular, and these type of hadiths in Islam are moved away from, normalization can occur, and that normalization is, I believe, the foundation to the false sense of security that will eventually lead to what we believe is the Magog invasion. But what shall we watch for going forward? What does all of this mean? Well, it means this, that we live in trouble sometimes. It means that we need to be about our Father's business as Christians. It means that we need to look up for our redemption is near. It means we need to get serious about Christ Meaning that we need to sell, I mean, we need to sell ourselves to Him. Lord, take all of me, surrender to Him completely and fully with every aspect, whatever you're holding on to today, lay it down before the Lord, saying, Not my will, but your will be done, whatever that may be. Yeah, I know that might sound radical, but didn't Jesus say, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me? I think He did. Did not Paul say, lay yourself down as a living sacrifice? What is your reasonable service in the light of all that Christ has done for you? God wants all of you. And he said it this way, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, studying the Bible, I sometimes have the biggest problems with the smallest words. It's that word all that keeps getting to me. Well, Lord, you can't mean all of me. No, no, I mean all of you. No, 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 not all of me. Yeah, I mean all of you. Really? Yeah, do I have to say it again? Do you argue with God like that? Like, this just happened to me. That means a lot, right? It means every aspect of my being. He wants all of me. Not under the fear of a tyrant or a dictator controlling me, but out of love for him. And the reason we love God is because he first loved us. We need to be about our Father's business in these last days. People are dying. Lives are being destroyed. Deception is everywhere. Lies are fill the air. 
And you and I as Christians have this book that sets us straight each and every time. And God promises that he will never lie to us. So what shall we be looking for? I don't think it is any coincidence that President Biden's response was to send two carrier groups over to the Middle East immediately. For the last year and a half, Ukraine has been begging for such a military support, haven't they? And yet no support has come. What motivated President Biden to do what he did? Now, I don't know of how much of a friend he is to Israel or not, to be honest with you. I personally don't trust him. He has lied too many times. I don't know if things get real over there, if all of a sudden he'll cut bait. I don't know if he'll turn those ships around and leave Israel high and dry. I don't know if he will do that. There's already conversations that Biden is asking them to wait on the invasion of Gaza. This morning it was reported that he did so to allow Americans from Gaza to escape through Egypt, which apparently they brokered a deal to allow them to do. But let's be praying. I don't know what resolve he actually has and what stomach he has to resist the protest and the anger and the screaming of people who obviously don't know what they're talking about. So what do we look for? Why did the United States send those carrier groups? Because they are terrified that this is going to spill over into other nations. They're terrified. Unfortunately, it already appears to be spilling over. This morning, or I should say last night at 10 o'clock, Fox News reported that Iran now has stated that if they go into the Gaza Strip, Israel that is, Iran will intervene. They will first undoubtedly intervene through Hezbollah to the north out of Lebanon. Israel will be fighting a two-front war before we know it. And let us be clear, this is not just a police response. Israel has declared war against Hamas, and rightfully so. The ambassador for Iran said that if Israel invades Gaza, the rest of the Axis will invade also. Meaning that those state-run terrorist groups that Iran controls will enter in to the war. Oh, and by the way, the UN has refused to call Hamas a terrorist organization. What do you have to do to become a terrorist organization, I guess? They refused to sanction Hamas for what they have done. But what scares me is that Iran isn't the lonely nation that it once was just 10 years ago. In August, Iran signed a treaty in the BRICS nations to become one of the BRICS nations. Of course, one of the founding members of BRICS is Russia. And for the last year, Iran has been supplying Russia with the drone capabilities that it is needed for the Ukraine war. As the Biden administration pulled back on the sanctions, those sanctions led to a profitability in Iran of 30 to 40 million dollars. Much of that money has now been discovered as arming Israel's enemies and and arming and rushing to fulfill the Russian war machine. The Wall Street Journal reported that. 30 to 40 million dollars, billion dollars with a B. Of course, just a couple of weeks ago, the State Department decided to release six billion dollars back to Iran, and then all of a sudden we have this incursion. We have this invasion. And yet we are supposed to believe that none of that money ever got to Iran, that they can refreeze it, but they haven't done so yet. And yet such an outcome has transpired. Let us be clear that the Bible says that in the last days, 
a group of nations led by a nation called Magog in the Bible, who we believe to be Russia. Magog's greatest ally is one that the Bible calls Persia, that we know to be Iran. And at a time of peace, the Bible says, they will invade Israel with other nations. And guess what? Israel will be victorious over these nations as God steps in and intervenes on behalf of his people. So watch for Iranian intervention. Listen for those words. Listen for this axis of terror, A-X-I-S, axis of terror, that Iran will bring down upon the nation of Israel. But on Thursday, after I got home from my classes, I was sitting, having my lunch, just happened to have frozen waffles. All right, we didn't shop this week, all right? And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, it flashes up in front of the screen that Israel had bombed Damascus. The waffle fell out of my mouth. Why? Because Isaiah 17, verse 1, says that in these days that God will destroy Damascus and Damascus will not rise again. Now, it was only the airports that Israel bombed because they believed that they would be used to bring uh, munitions to Gaza, to Hezbollah, okay? So they wanted to make sure that that didn't occur. I'm like, God, this is a little too close now, okay? But yet... Notice what God says in Isaiah 17, 1, the burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. But then there's another prophecy in the Bible, one that we have talked about, one we have not yet come to see pass, and that is the prophecy of Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, once again, the psalmist writes that at a certain time in history, a group of nations will come against Israel. In Psalm 83, David writes, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their heads. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation. I think I remember the president of Iran saying we must wipe Israel off the face of the map. Then the name of Israel may be remembered no more, for they have consulted together with one contest. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the, and the Ishlamites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gabal and Ammon and the Amalekites, the Philistine, uh, with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot, Shalah, he says. Well, those nations may not mean anything to you, so let me give you their modern names today. These nations are Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Gaza, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. Watch for the spillover. This could quickly get out of hand very, very fast, throwing the world truly into World War III. Because we have no idea how other nations are going to react Part of the reason for the atrocity that we see happening in Israel is due to the fact that the world around us senses that America is weakened. I am a firm believer of the geopolitical strategy, peace through strength. Peace through strength. But as the American people forget who they are, as the world around us seems to get stronger and we seem to get weaker economically, militarily, socially, ethically. The world around us gets stronger. As one was telling me this morning, the Ronald Reagan is over in the China Sea right now because China is looking to move against Taiwan, taking advantage of the vulnerabilities. 
we need to remember that it was strength that kept peace for as many decades as it has. And I hope that we can muster that strength once again. Remember that one leader of Iran said, they asked, is it possible for us to witness a world without America and without Zionism? But you had best know that this slogan and this goals are altogether attainable and surely can be achieved, he said. The regime that is occupying Jerusalem must be wiped off the map, unquote. But again, the Bible told us that Jerusalem would be the center of all woes. Notice with me in Zechariah 12, 3 and 4. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the people with blindness. See, The Jews are the apple of God's eyes, the Bible says. And you and I need to know that when we start seeing these things, and there are so many things happening in our world, I leave you with the words of Jesus. When he said in Luke 21, 28, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near let us not be afraid God has us here for a time such as this I don't know about you but whatever God is about to do I want to be part of it here in America I want to see people come to saving faith like we've never seen before so whatever God must do to create the backdrop to allow that to occur so be it right so be it Because nothing more important will ever occur than one making their decision for or against Jesus Christ. As he said, either you're for me or you're against me. And people of America need to wake up that these last five years that we have seen and the ten years before that, the more we've moved away from God, look at how much our nation has been thrown into chaos and confusion. But you know what? God always stands there ready for us to return. If we will repent and turn back to the Lord, He'll heal our nation and He'll heal our land. Now, before you leave, I have one request of you all. If you have your cell phones, I'd like you to bring them out, take them out. Here's your practical takeaway. And I want you to surf to a website called firmisrael.org. F-I-R-M, Israel, one word, dot org. Firmisrael.org. And on the homepage of that website, you are going to see their prayer campaign that they've entitled Isaiah 4916. As God said to his people, he says, See, I have inscribed you on my hand. On that website, they give you the list of the name of the hostages. And they ask you to write one of those names on your hand for the purpose of praying for them. We may not be able to go over there and physically save them, but we can pray for those who do, right? I can pray for the IDF. I can pray for the American SEALs that are going in. I can pray for their protection. I can pray for the rescue of those children, the rescue of those young ladies, those elderly women, one who was even a Holocaust survivor. Can you imagine that? The audacity. Somebody said something yesterday, and it kind of took me back. He says that he prays that the Hamas jihadists repent and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, or else they must die, he said. Israel will not allow this to stand. Be ready. Be ready.
because none of us in our lifetime have seen the capabilities of the Israeli military. They take all of our stuff and they make it better. They make it better. But I want you to find a name and I want you to write on your hand. Mine's Noah. I'm going to pray for Noah. Write one of those names on your hand and don't forget that they exist, that they're terrified, that they may be going through horrific moments in time. But let's pray that God does a great work in the nation of Israel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Father, it's hard to watch these things unfold before us. Father, I know that you not only died for the Jewish people of Israel in the person of Christ, but also those in Hamas. The Palestinians also, those, uh, those individuals, Lord. In 2005, Israel gave the Palestinians the Gaza Strip. They left completely. They said, have at it, a beautiful piece of Mediterranean land, and even gave them rights to drill for the natural gas that was underneath them to allow their economy to flourish. But instead of taking that offer... In 2006, Hamas was elected as their governing officials, and it has been a terror state ever since. I know there are many Palestinians in Gaza who absolutely are opposed to what Hamas is doing. Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you would see and save those individuals. Help them evacuate to the south, Lord, as they've been instructed to do. Father, we don't only pray for Israel, but we pray for those people too. But Lord, as you said so eloquently, when you see these things happen, look up, for your Redeemer is near. Father, that's what we do today. We look up. We look for you. And we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.